Good morning, everyone. This is Brad Thomas with iREIT. Hope you're doing well. And I'm back again for another CEO roundtable interview. Uh, this time I've got a CEO and, uh, and a couple others on the management team of Spirit Realty. Uh, Spirit is ticker symbol SRC, of course, based in Texas. So the, the lineup today is, of course, the CEO, Jackson Shea. Uh, we've got Pierre, and I'll let him pronounce his last name, Revel. Um, yes. Uh, thank you. Uh, Vice President of Corporate Finance, Investor Relations, Travis Carter, Vice President, who's uh, over the credit, and uh, Kenneth Heimlich, who is Executive Vice President, Head of Asset Management. So thank you all for, for jumping on this call today. Um, let's get started, I guess, at a high level. Maybe Jackson, if you could, if you don't mind, give us an overview of Spirit. I know some of our audience may not be as familiar with, with the business. Obviously, this is a net lease REIT freestanding properties, very diverse portfolio, but could you, could you describe uh, the business model at a very high level, if you don't mind? Thanks, Brad. Good morning, everybody. And um, yeah, our company is obviously headquartered in Dallas. Uh, we own just about 1,800 properties under long-term triple net lease structure. Um, you know, I think we, if you look at our tenancy, it's, it's structured to be a very safe, uh, consistent, cash flow generating type of business. One of the things that we strive for is to try to create long-term leases, which are average tenancy, weighted average lease maturity is just under 10 years. We strive to get tremendous diversification. So we're in 48 states. Uh, we had a number of different industries that we invest in. So about 80% of our current portfolio is in either service, discount, or traditional retail. About 12% is in the industrial sector and about 8% is office, primarily medical office. One of the things that I think is really unique about our business is, you know, we've got fairly, you know, good diversification within industry subsectors. So convenience stores, quick serve restaurants, health and fitness restaurants are our largest subsector. Um, we have seen some impact in COVID obviously but we've also seen very, very consistent improvement since what I'd call the trough back in May. <clears throat> um, if you looked at our second quarter results, um, in fact, our team was one of the first that started these monthly updates on rent collection. When we were in the depths of COVID, when the country was pretty much shut down in April, we felt it was important to give investors transparency on what we were seeing. Um, it was a scary time. Tenants didn't really know what was happening. States were starting to really clamp down on closures. People were, uh, they just weren't sure if they should pay rent or ask for deferrals. And so it was really pretty chaotic in April. Um, <clears throat> when we gave the update, we had about just under, just over 65% of our tenants pay April rent. Um, and like I said, because of the kind of confusion with what the government was doing, what they were doing with PPP, PP&E, and also the uh, disclosure programs, we, we started to see some signs of improvement as we continued on through April. And through May, as, as we went through our rent defer deferral discussions, we started working with tenants and some people that were asking for deferrals didn't need it. They actually got loans for the government. Some actually did better than they expected. So they paid rent, got current. Others you know, needed help, like movie theaters, some sectors, some of the gyms were areas where they really were closed down. 
um, as we got through May, which was really, in our view, what we've experienced is the low point. Um, and, and actually our rents were higher because if you kind of look at our profile rent collections, we, we continue to improve. Um, and so if you look at our last month, you know, we we're just at 85% rent collection. Um, what we said in our second quarter call is that every month is going to get better as it relates to rent collection. And so if you looked at 85% in July, we, we, August will be better. September will be higher. That's, that's our expectation because most of these deferrals are coming off. So <clears throat> I think one thing that's interesting is for us, the other headline is that we raised $1.2 billion of capital since the start of COVID in April. And that's in the form of uh, bank term loans, 10-year unsecured bonds. Of course, we're a triple B rated unsecured credit and also um, equity. And so our balance sheet is in the best shape it's ever been. We're, uh, we're fully funded with the equity. We're in the high four times debt to EBITDA. Rent collections are going up. Um, it's, a, it's a lot better than we thought, to be honest with you. A lot better than we thought looking in the depths of April. And we are already deploying capital as we speak. So if you look at the totality of spirit this year and just took out the second quarter, which was the real low point of COVID, you would probably say nothing really happened to the company because you'll see us invest according. I, I think you'll be, people will be surprised. And that's what we're really focused on as a company right now. In 2020, we want to kind of look back, you know, at the beginning of 21 and say, this is what this management team did. And we'll all look at the second quarter because of COVID, but I think well, people will be able to see a, a very robust first quarter, third quarter, and fourth quarter, in our view, across across operating results, investment results, et cetera. So I'll stop right there. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks, Jackson. That was very helpful. And I want to ask you, I, uh, you know, I'm, I live in South Carolina and I was a, a net lease developer before I became a, a real estate analyst. And uh, every day I drive by an IHOP that I built, uh, it's probably been 15 or maybe even 20 years ago. And it was a very popular IHOP restaurant in, uh, in my hometown of Spartanburg, South Carolina. And when I drive by this, there's a Target, you know, the, the mall, there's all the retail activity. Um, IHOP is one of the few restaurants that didn't open back up. It's got, you know, weeds growing. It's, 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 it's clearly, you know, not going to open back up which was surprising because it was it looked like a fairly good performing property. So my question is the other 15% of rents, you know, that, that aren't paying uh, where you've deferred, how do you feel about that 15% and, and the collect, you know, collectability of, of, of that tranche of uh, your portfolio? Um, generally we feel good. And I'll tell you why. Um, and actually the restaurants, I'll, I'll sort of hit that just for a second. In our experience in our portfolio, most of our restaurant <clears throat> tenants are either large national operators or what I'll call super regional operators, not one-off franchisees. Um, we've been really positively surprised in our QSR and casual dining portfolio because we have larger operators and they're structured generally in our portfolio under master leases. You know, the restaurant business is, you know, in a franchise, if you have a single unit or two unit restaurant operator, that's a franchisee operator, those folks had a tough time in COVID. If they weren't able to get some of the forgivable loans from the government, <clears throat> if they didn't have best practices 
um, you know, it would be just more difficult for them to compete. Um, by the way, we don't own any IHOPs, so just so okay. <laughs> just in case you wanted to ask. Yeah. Um, the area to me that's the most challenging for us, um, I feel like the restaurants gonna, are recovering. Travis can talk about it in a minute, but I'll, I'll say high level. Restaurants, casual dining, gyms are, are all doing better than we expected. You know, the movie theaters are the TBD, right? We, you know, we own, we own a collection of movie theaters that I guess is about just under 6% of our total rent. Um, we've had to take more care and put more attention with structuring deferral agreements with that group. Um, fortunately, we have over seven operators, so we're not concentrated with just two of the big international operators. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and candidly, our regional credits are better than the national, international companies from a balance sheet perspective. But to me, that, that's the one where it's a little bit trickier because you're waiting on content to come out from the studios. Um, look, our expectation, my personal expectation, the movies are going to do better than people think. I really believe it. Um, and I'm going to say that because we're seeing <clears throat> surprisingly positive results in our indoor entertainment segments. Um, maybe Travis, I'll flip it to you. Just if you want to give more detail around that 15%. Yeah. I mean, as, as Jackson touched on, um, I think the biggest, <clears throat> the biggest trend and the biggest consistency we've seen out of COVID is, basically the resiliency and adaptability of our tenants to adjust their cost stress structures, their operating structures, and kind of figure out a way to operate in this COVID environment. Um, you know, you mentioned casual dining, like it's been pretty impressive, our, our casual dining tenants. Um, they've rebounded, I think, much faster than we expected they would. I mean, they've pivoted to online delivery, third-party delivery, their own apps. Um, two of our, one of our super regional concepts and one of the national concepts created um, virtual restaurants during this. So they've turned their restaurants into basically ghost kitchens. Um, they both created a wing concept and one created a burger concept. And, um, you know, the large national chain, I think in July, for casual dining concept, sales were down 10% only. Um, they've more, both of them have more than doubled their online third party. The national concept was doing almost 40% online curbside pickup where they were in the high teens before COVID. The super regional concept is actually almost 50% online third party where before COVID they were at about 20. Um, and you know, and is what we're seeing is Jackson touched on it, but you saw the local IHOP in your town close. Well, these guys, our bigger chains, are seeing the same thing in their markets. I mean, they're tracking their markets and they're telling us that 30 or 40% of their competition are probably not going to be there um, when this thing shakes out. So these guys are already nearing in their four wall positive at the revenue levels they're at. The super to regional concepts down about 20%. Um, they're already four wall positive. They're going to survive this and they're going to have less competition coming out the other side. And they're basically taking market share. And, um, you know, it's still tough times for everyone dealing with the limited capacity and everything, but 
once we were very confident a lot of our tenants will come out actually stronger on the other side of this and kind of plays the same in entertainment. I mean, we have two of the biggest indoor entertainment names in the country that are basically our tenants. And, you know, it's, it's been a, probably a tougher haul, uh, not as tough as movies, as Jackson's mentioned, but, you know, tougher than casual dining, but the trends are still positive and um, they continue to perform better than expectations. And most of them are actually even cash flow positive at the unit level. Um, and but there are still some states that, you know, haven't allowed everything to open up yet. And that's kind of what the big, the big unknown is. And, you know, obviously if you can't open your gyms or your entertainment facility, it's very difficult to make money. But I think we've seen the second wave kind of relax and, you know, it looks pretty positive for people being able to reopen. People are coming out. Um, even the states that you heard about getting hit the hardest by this so-called like second wave, they basically saw a pause. They didn't really see a massive decline. They saw a pause and now they've already seen an uptick coming. Um, so it's, um, remember the states that kind of got hit the worst of it also opened the strongest. So the units in those states were actually doing better than average for, you know, the chain. Brad, one thing that's uh, interesting to highlight for your, the people that you write to, um, you know, you mentioned that 15% um, rent that we have not collected in July. So, you know, if you look on our disclosure, you know, about 11% of that 15, you know, 11% of our rents right now are under some form of a deferral agreement. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and like I said, our experience has been since April <clears throat> that that deferral, that people get current and those deferrals reduce. So our expectation is that 11% will go down and, and start to get current as, as we go through the rest of the year on a month by month basis. Um, about, we'd had to, we had to sort of negotiate about call it one and a half percent, just a little 1.6% of abatements. And the way to think about an abatement is, you know, we're forgiving rent, but we're doing it on a very selective basis because A, we think it's important for the client, the tenant, and two, we get something back for it. So we either got lease extension, you know, we either got extension in term or more favorable lease structure. We had to do a more deeper dive. It wasn't just like, oh, guys, don't worry about this month. I mean, it was, it was very intentional. When I look at the 15%, it's not really a lot of risk in my standpoint, from my standpoint. Um, and if you look at our the capital that we raised, kind of interesting story, right? We raised 1.2 billion of capital since COVID in April. And we tapped three markets, the, uh, the term loan market, that's really banks, right? You know, the, the unsecured bond market, which is, you know, investment grade, triple B rated bond investors and equity. Right now our equity yield, the, the, our, our debt pricing, which was 3.2% for our 10 year unsecured bond. It's the lowest coupon we've been able, we've, that we've ever issued at. It's funny that a year ago, it would have been a different story. The equity pricing would have been a lot better. The bond pricing would have been worse, i.e. higher coupon. Um, so one of the things that has been really interesting to me is that we've spent a lot of time with our institutional bond investors. They understand the diversification and they kind of understand the story. And, is, and it's why they're willing to 
not charge us a high risk premium. <clears throat> um, if you think about the public stock market investors, the minute I say the word retail, it's over. It's over. Like, oh, you're retail. Sorry. Um, but I wanted to share with you why like big institutional investors like PIMCO, some of these larger investors that are very, very sophisticated have dug further and said, your retail is not like a shopping mall. Your retail is not like a regional mall. You guys own very essential service, discount service-based freestanding retail, which in large part is benefiting from this because people are driving, they're not flying. Um, these are essential services generally that we're providing. And your service tenants, you know, people are home. They, they got to go out and do stuff. You know, they, they're going to go to a restaurant, whether it's sitting outside or sitting in a socially distanced environment, you know, they're going to go out and do stuff. And as Travis mentioned, even our indoor family entertainment operators are doing surprisingly well. And that's why it gives us confidence that I believe when the major films come out, people are going to go into the movie theaters. Now the capacity of the theater will be probably my guess 50%, but you'll see more showings. People will start to go at different times of the day as opposed to at night, right? Now people have more flexibility during the day. Um, so I think, you know, we're, we're, we're cautiously optimistic about upside in the movie segment as, as people come in. I mean, Ken, why don't you talk about movies? Cause that's, that's the area that's the one to me that if you were, if I were sitting in your seat, oh, you own this, you own that, you know, our restaurants are gonna be fine. Our gyms are gonna be fine. The, the theaters are the ones that would be a question mark and, and they are opening this week. So yeah. the majority, yeah. large majority of them. A, a, a quick comment I make, obviously, in all the different sectors that we have exposure to, it's kind of n not debatable what is the most challenge. It's going to be your movie theaters. But uh, interestingly enough, right now we have, as we said, we have literally eight theater, uh, movie theater tenants. Um, out of those eight, half paid rent in July. It, you know, some of them not full rent, but they're paying as they agreed in our structures with them. So I, I think people, that's a, a pretty positive indication of, you know, not only the movie industry, but our specifically our tenants within that industry. So, you know, we're, we're, we're optimistic. Um, the feedback we get from uh, our theater tenants uh, they're very excited about the, the amount of content because content drives the theater business. You know, they don't control it, but I'm not saying it's a silver lining, but the, the reality is because they've gone so long without content, it's now stacked up. So now they've got a good 18 month run of very, very content rich uh, releases coming out. So there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of things when Jackson said earlier, you know, we feel pretty good about the movie theater industry. Yeah. Do you own any, uh, any, uh, you just wrote a very detailed report on Drive Shack and of course, uh, Top Golf. Um, do you own any of those facilities? Um, we do own a, we own, we do own a Top Golf and I, you know, Travis can give you some, uh, anecdotal information about an outdoor entertainment tenant that we own that we won't name. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Jackson even touched on this. Like, we've been pleasantly surprised at the robustness and the rebound in the entertainment space. And um, the biggest surprise, or probably positive surprise, is outdoor entertainment. 
um, look, it's people feel like they can be spaced out a little bit more. Um, they have the spacing to allow for basically full capacity at their driving ranges, um, you know, their bar areas for a little bit. But, um, you know, and they've seen some really interesting trends, which you might think is uh, their strongest comps are during, you know, they're, they're as close to pre-COVID levels during weekdays, actually, because um, people are like looking for excuses to get out of the house. They're still doing really well on weekends, like weights at all of their facilities. But generally speaking, they're at, for walking traffic, um, you know, our tenants at 80 to 90% of pre-COVID levels. Obviously where they're getting hurt is on an event, you know, corporate events, things like that. That is, you know, significantly lower as anyone would expect, but they're doing, I think even better than they expected on like their normal core, you know, walk-in business off the street. And I, and I think it makes sense. I think we're seeing that everywhere that there is pent up de demand. People are, wanting to get out of their homes to do something and something that's outdoor that allows social distancing is not doing that poorly. Right. Well, I want to, I want to switch gears if we could. I, uh, you know, we picked up some coverage last week where there's a new net lease REIT now in our coverage spectrum. <clears throat> and there's going to be another one, I think in any day now. And which is good because we're seeing a couple, couple of the REITs actually move away from the REIT sector, like core civic, which is, moving back from its REIT structure to a C corporation and uh, certainly uh, some malls that may or may not exist in the next several you know, quarters. So we're seeing a lot of growth, as you know, in the net lease. It's, it's 10 years ago uh, when I started writing. Of course, as I said, I was a net lease developer for you know, 20 years and, and I've seen the evolution of the net lease sector, uh, especially in the, in the, in the publicly uh, traded uh, REIT space. And so when I look at, you know, the evolution of, of spirit, you know, you spun off the, uh, the shop code, you know, the, the, the other uh, uh, less impressive properties. Uh, and and I, admittedly, just in time of COVID, obviously, uh, uh, but that's great. Uh, uh, it better be lucky than smart. But I mean, that was good to get, get that portfolio out of the way. So now you've really primed yourself in my opinion, as a consolidator, uh, you've kind of proven yourself. So how do you see spirit today in terms of, you know, going on offense and growth uh, moving forward? Or, I mean, are you positioning yourself? You mentioned the, you know, $1.2 billion in capital uh, that you've raised. So are you now positioned yourself to go on offense right now? Uh, yes, Brett, the, the answer is yes. Um, and I would tell you that, um, you know, the comp we've spent, the better part of three years doing a lot of things here at Spirit. Obviously the spinning off ShopGo and those other non-core assets was absolutely essential for us because had we not done that, I think we'd be in a much more you know, difficult environment for our company. So we got rid of that. We're in great shape from a portfolio standpoint. But one of the things that I think we don't certainly get a lot of uh, credit for today, but we will in the, in the near future, is you know our operating team, operating systems, um, ability to forecast rents, collect rents, analyze data in our portfolio, is is really, I, I think it's one of the best, and and I think people would tell you that our disclosure is is quite impressive, and our business intelligence tools are are, are at the highest level. 
Um, yeah, we are 100% going on offense. That's we raise the money not for defense, not to pay off debt, but to actually reinvest. And one of the things that I'm excited about is a year from now, when we have this chat, if we do it around this time, we're going to look back from a tail of the tape and these triple net companies are going to be very successful, all of them for the most part, because you know most of the rent that we have with our tenants is freestanding. And so tenants are operating. Our experience with our tenants is probably no different than other operators of triple net companies, our peer group. And so really what it's all about is can you attract institutional capital to support you for growth? You have to be able to do that in this business model or it doesn't work. You know, we've just proven it. You know, we've, we've gone, not only did we do term loans, we did bonds and equity, a lot of it. And so we are investing it <clears throat> as we speak today. Um, and we'll continue to do it and we'll continue to go back to the markets. And um, yes, we'll have some accounting noise as it relates to deferrals and who paid what, but what will largely go right through it is, is kind of our view. And um, I think it's gonna be the same for other companies that do what we do. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, you know, in retail, and you can appreciate this, when you have multi-unit retail, in, either in a shopping center or a shopping mall, it's just a much more difficult um, environment to stabilize the, the center or, the, or that piece of real estate. Um, we, we have the benefit of being in 1,800, just about 1,800 separate freestanding locations, which is a major advantage. You know, we have the ability to sell things when we think it's right into the 1031 market, which we've been doing. Um, and so the diversification that we're seeing and the scale of our operators, you know, we have mostly national, you know, super regional scale operators. They're, they're weathering this challenge as, as best as we could expect. So yeah, we are, we have hundred percent moved forward on the reinvestment, which is critical. It's, it's not that important right now. There's just a lot of noise, but as we come out of the third quarter, fourth quarter into next year, people are going to see it. And that's when I think you'll see all of these stocks in our segment in the triple net start to outperform. Yeah. And how do you, how do you think about your cost of capital currently? <laughs> I know you, you've got obviously very attractive debt costs. Your, I'm sure your equity costs, you, you all, all REITs probably would love to have a better equity multiple, but in terms of transacting deals today, um, you know, and, and, and if you could touch on kind of your, your, your kind of target cap rates, um, I haven't seen a whole lot of movement yet, uh, but how do, you, how do you look at your cost of capital and your, your uh, acquisition pipeline in terms of cap rates? Right yeah, now? Well, well, I'll talk about cap rates. We were able to get, and we've talked about this, um, you know, we continue to invest right as we got through May, the, the depths of COVID. So you should expect that cap rates at that point were much higher and we got some attractive investment opportunities. It's, it's shocking how, how many more people have come into the market to buy property, good properties. Uh, we're seeing it every month, it's just every week. It just seems to more entrants are coming back in, more stabilization, more people have access to, to debt. Um, so I expect that investment cap rates that we do in the third quarter will be some of our best and it's getting more competitive. It'll be more competitive in the fourth quarter from an investment standpoint and obviously next year. You know, we raised, um, Brad, like, you know, the way I think about our cost of capital, um, 
<clears throat> just think about it's it's a 60%, 40% split. We generally, for every dollar we invest, we like it to be 60% equity, 40% debt. And the way we think about our debt costs, you know, it's our 10 year unsecured bond yield, which is which we raised at 3.2%. Um, when I think about where our equity is, and look, our equity moves around, right? It's, it's been quite volatile. But I would say that if you take today's equity price with the 3.2% bond yield, our cost of capital is just in the high 5%, just about 6% right now. That's, that's a fair number. Um, and as the stock goes up, that, num that cost of capital will reduce. Um, our reinvestment yields, we talked about being in the low to mid sevens. Um, that's what we're targeting. You know, as it gets more competitive, obviously we're gonna have to reconsider coming down. But I'd say right now we're getting over a hundred basis points spread to our cost of capital. It's, it's gonna be it's gonna be north of a hundred um, in that one hundred to one fifty range. And um, we hope that all the work we're doing will start to resonate with investors so that our cost of capital drives down to where it was in the first quarter of this year. You know, in the first quarter of this year, it was in the low 5% range. You know, we were actually uh, in really well positioned coming out of the first quarter after all that work, investor day, spinoff, and then, you know, obviously COVID, COVID hit us. But I think people look back, when you step back in totality, they'll say, wow, management team did a great job, portfolio did great, and the balance sheet's primed up, they're ready to go. Yeah. So the business model works today. It just works better with the equity price getting better. Yeah, sure. And, and how do you feel about the uh, payout ratio? Uh, I'm just looking at the uh, kind of consensus to 2020. Um, looks like the payout ratio, again, I haven't done the math, but maybe in the, in the uh, high 80s, 90, low 90s. I mean, how do you, and that's 2020 consensus numbers I'm just looking at. How do you feel about the payout ratio? I know you have it. You're two dollars and fifty cents a share in dividend. Um, how do you feel about that today? Well, first of all, we never even considered touching the dividend, even in the worst parts of COVID, right? Um, and you know, look, there was there was a lot of uncertainty. But one of the things that's I think important for a company like this is to maintain your dividend to the extent it's it's you've got the the room within your payout ratio. Um, we knew that our payout ratio was going to reduce. I talked about that trough rent collection in, in May, but we also could see that it was going to rebound quite impressively throughout the rest of the year. So I think for companies like ourselves, we took the approach that, look, dividend, dividend policy is like a long-term kind of corporate finance oriented type of um, objective. So there has to be a tremendous amount of dislocation for us to even consider adjusting that. Um, we can see already that that 15% of non-collection in July is, is coming down. And so we don't think it's prudent for our investors to alter that given we think we have confidence in the collectability of that, as well as the reinvestment into new assets. Um, I would say that from a, break-even standpoint, you know, at the current rent collections, we can cover dividend, interest payments, G&A, CapEx, you know, all with out of cash flow. Not, we're not borrowing to pay the dividend at the current rate. And so, I don't know, look, in April, May, it was really pretty scary time, right? We hadn't really had a chance to talk to all our tenants. 
didn't weren't able to really dive into um, what this recovery was going to look like. But with the combination of what the government did, what our what our really our operators did a phenomenal job. I can't I can tell you like we can't operate these. We we can collect rents. We can't open these businesses. We can't be smart. And I've you know we we have um, just as a as a note, you know we have a monthly team meeting <clears throat> for all of our employees, and we always invite one of our tenants to come in and talk about COVID, their operations, what they've done. We've done it in the movie segment, the gym segment, the inner entertainment segment, the education segment, restaurant segment, and it's impressive. It's really impressive, as, as Travis had said. Um, you know, long-term, if, if you've heard our CFO, Mike Hughes, talk about it, we like to see our long-term payout ratio trend towards 75%. That, that's really long-term where we'd like it to go. Right. So I don't expect we'll be increasing dividends necessarily, but I don't expect us to be reducing dividends either. Sure. Well, I, uh, I, I fully agree. I have a lot of uh, appreciation for operators. I was one, I was a multi-unit franchisee for national pizza chain. And um, I have this joke, uh, you know, one way to become a millionaire is to uh, invest $2 million into a pizza franchise and run it for, for, a, for a year. And uh, you might be left with a million. Um, so it's, a tough, it's a tough business. Uh, I highly respect it. Uh, but it's it's a lot a lot easier, as you all know, to be a landlord to net lease than a uh, than an operator. Um, the uh, final question I want to ask you guys, and again, I want to I want to I know this is more of a touchy subject, but I, uh, so I'm not I'm not asking really any forward looking, but it's just very clear that with the number of REITs that I've mentioned that are you know entering the the, the market and just you know net lease capital in general, just the demand, you know, Cohen and Steers is you know recently invested in. And one of your peers, um, there's a lot of institutional money now following the space. It's it's now a, a very uh, a, you know flight to quality, uh, safety harbor, you know sector, and uh, especially now with COVID. So my question is uh, is really directed in M and A. Are you guys positioned right now to be a consolidator? I mean, can you can you transact a a, a large M and A deal if something came along that was interesting? Well, I, I would say the, um, yeah, Cohen Series is one of our largest shareholders, just, you know, uh, that's, I think that's, if, if you didn't know that, but we are, we spun off about three and a half billion dollars of assets. You know, those, that was the size of the aggregate size of properties that we spun off to our shareholders and, and then sold the company. We haven't touched our GNA, you know, our corporate overhead hasn't changed. So I would tell you as an objective, you know, we have to, I'd like to replace that three and a half billion in a not so distant future. Um, so from an organizational standpoint, the answer is yes. You know, we are, we are structured to be much larger and we plan, that's a goal for us. At Investor Day, I talked about trying to get to $600 million in rents by the end of 2022. So, so we have to do something large in order to do that. From a uh, capital raising standpoint, you know, we raised 1.2 billion. It's, not, it's a decent amount of money in the depths of COVID. And, and I believe that our investors know that we've performed better than what we said we would do. So if the right situation came up, I have tremendous confidence that we could get the money. It's important, right? But more importantly, our organization is set up to replace kind of a large hole that we've spun off. 
um, last year. So, yeah, but I think we're I think we're pretty well poised, and we've got, you know, we're still a relatively young team, from from the institutions standpoint, but I think it's also a team that has generated uh, respect because of our disclosure, the way we do things. We've been very consistent. Yes, we had challenges in May, April, with like everybody else, but I think everyone have been positively surprised with the rate of recovery in our portfolio. Great. Well, uh, Jackson, I want to, I appreciate the transparency with this, with this call and, and having your team on means a lot as well. So um, I want to thank you all for, for your time today and uh, 